And I love the gospel because what happens time and time and time again is God takes somebody that's nasty and calls them to himself and makes them one of his children. I want to tell you about one of those people today. You know, his neighbors hated him. And rightly so. He was a crook and a thief. And everyone knew it. And as a result of his lifestyle and a result of the way that he lived and ran his business, he was a very rich man. And how many of you know that people don't like it when their neighbors are very rich? We struggle with that as people. But this guy was not only rich, but he was rich as a result of being a thief. And not just a thief, but he was also a traitor against his very neighbors. You know him as that wee, wee little man. Does that sound familiar? Zacchaeus. You can read about him in Luke chapter 19. If you want to turn here, you can. It's not really going to spend most of our time today. But you need to know as we go into our passage today about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. I want to tell you how that worked. Now, the, the Jewish people there in the, who were now under the control of the Roman authorities, what they would do is they would offer to somebody of Jewish origin, another Jew, they would offer them the opportunity to purchase a business from Rome. And so if you were a well-to-do person, you could go to the Roman authorities and you could buy a tax business. This is something that you would do. And Zacchaeus had done that. And here's how it worked. Let's put it into American dollar terms, okay? Here's how it would work. The Roman authorities said that every family in this region must pay, let's say, $5,000 a year. And you, Zacchaeus, you have purchased the right to be the tax collector for this region. So you're responsible to turn into us $5,000 per family per year. And you have at your disposal the power of the Roman government to collect. And, Zacchaeus, you can ask for however much you want. So here's how this businessman operated. He knew he needed $5,000 from your family. So he comes knocking on the door. Tax bill. I need seven grand. Wait a minute, the guy down the street, he only paid 5500 I know. You owe 7000 I don't like your daughter. I don't like your son. I don't like the way you treated me last week. You owe 7000 And if you don't pay, the Roman authorities will come and take it from you. And so now you had no choice. You're going to pay him $7,000. He's going to pocket two and pass on five. So as you might imagine, you would hate him. He's rich, he's a thief, and he's a traitor against you and all of your friends and all of your family. And Jesus came and saved his soul. Now that's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to grasp this. That Jesus comes into lives, regardless of how messed up they are, and brings them to himself and saves them. 
delivers them from the penalty of their sin, delivers them from the power of their sin to spend eternity with God. You know why we struggle with that? Because of pride. That's why. The reality is, you and I are no better than Zacchaeus. We're no better than him. We're longing for relationship with God. We, we know we need it. We're born with that hole, some have said. And so we live our life trying to fill it. And we're, we, we alone are truly aware of our sinfulness, us and God. But praise the Lord that he comes into our lives to seek and to save the sinner. It's what God does. I love the story of Zacchaeus because in Zacchaeus, what happens is after, after Jesus invites himself to his home, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' home, and, and we don't, Luke 19 doesn't tell us everything that happened there, but through the process, Zacchaeus became a new creature. He was born again. He was regenerated. God changed his heart and his spirit, and he's now a follower of God. You know what he does? He now calls all of his neighbors, and he says, I'm returning to you everything I took from you, plus interest. I'm returning to you what I took. And so what we have is the the evidence of a changed man. You know, we live in a skeptical world. I mean, we are... We are becoming such skeptics, you know, from, from fake news and Facebook and, and Instagram and, and infomercials and everything else. We are surrounded by people who are trying to sell us a message. And I know that people outside of this room right now, they think that I'm here selling you a message. And what we need to recognize is the, the truth behind God. The the thing that that brings this message, it's weight. The thing that that brings the gospel message power in people's lives is the power of a changed life. It's the power of a changed life. It's Zacchaeus who was a thief and a crook, changed, and he's now a generous man. It's you. When you were wrapped up in sin, slave to sin, as Roger read, slave to sin. And God has delivered us from that body of death. There are many skeptics, many. What we need to see is that God changes lives. Let me share with you 1 Corinthians chapter 6. See what it says. It says that, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now I am thankful that that passage doesn't end right there. It doesn't end right there. Now in truth, it could. You'd miss it in your English, okay? You'd miss it. But in reality, what that passage is saying is that these are people who are continuing to practice this freely. There's no battle against sin. And that is not what the kingdom of heaven is made up of. But the passage doesn't end there. It says, but you, as such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. 
You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Today, I want to look at three areas of life change. I want to look at three areas of life change. Underlined really what I think represents those. Okay? First of all, you've got thieves. You know what a thief is? They take what isn't theirs. A reviler. What's a reviler? A a reviler is an abusive person. And their anger, they they abuse with their words or with their hands or with their actions. And a swindler will lie to you and cheat you. And what I appreciate about this is this passage is showing us that these are the people that God saves and changes. If you today are a liar, an abuser, and a thief, I got great news for you. God changes men and women. And God makes them honest people. God makes them like his son. Open up your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're just joining us today, what we do at Centerpoint, this is how we function. Um, We work through books of the Bible, okay? Because... We trust that God's spirit has inspired his word. And um, I don't really trust me to choose every single week what God's spirit wants us to hear. You know, I might have a good week or a bad week and I don't want to depend upon that. And so we trust God's spirit has written his word in, in 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 an organized manner. And we walk through it paragraph, sentence by sentence and understand what God was desiring to communicate. And so we've taken this whole summer and made it all about Ephesians chapter 4. We've been walking through this. We're calling it the masterpiece life. We get that from Ephesians 2.10. You can look back at it, just back a page. Ephesians 2.10, where we understand that we are his workmanship. Those that are in Christ, you are his workmanship. That's the word, that's the Greek word that we get our word poem. And it's, it's an artist's work. It's a masterpiece. You are... The masterpiece of God, if you're in Christ. God is doing a work. God is crafting you. Like a poet does a poem. Like a painter does a beautiful picture. God is making you into a beautiful picture. Not just any old random picture either. Not a beach or a forest or anything like that. No, no, no. He's got a plan in mind, a pattern in mind, and that pattern is Jesus Christ. So he is molding you. He's taking every event of your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the suffering, the joys, and he's using all that to craft you into this masterpiece so that you and I reflect Christ, go into the world that we live in, And we are his masterpiece on display as ambassadors for God. And so people, when they see you, God's plan is, and there is no second, God's plan is that people will see you and the change of life that you are displaying. And their skepticism is fried away. By what God has done in a life. So we are his workmanship. Today we're going to look at Ephesians 4. We're going to to drill down particularly on verses 25 
through 28, but I want to just read to get the context with you, verses 19 through 28. So I think I'll put some of them on the screen, but I'll, I'll read some of them in preparation for that. Verse 19 says that these people who are outside of Christ have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of purity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you have learned about him and were taught in him as the truth that is in Jesus. To put off your old self, and we talked about this is literally taking off a garment and throwing it on the ground. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on now the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, use your word. Help us to understand it. Lord, root out any part of us that we're keeping back from you. We invite your spirit to come and convict. Illuminate your word. Help us to understand what you want to speak to us about today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk about honesty today. In particular, we're going to talk about lying. We're going to talk about abusive actions in our anger. And we're going to talk about stealing. Now, before I get into this, I, I, I want to just try to clear up something right now. And I want to use this set of golf clubs, okay? Because I'm going to be talking today about lying, about sinfully acting out in my anger, and about stealing. And there's a chance that you could misunderstand. There's a major possibility that you could, underst- you could misunderstand. I want, you to be, I want it to be very, very clear that I am not saying today that if you tell the truth, if you live out self-control in your anger, and if you don't steal, then that makes you a Christian. I want to be very, very clear. That is not what this passage is saying. This passage is not saying you tell the truth, Control your anger and don't steal and then you'll be a good Christian. The reason why I'm bringing these golf clubs up, I got these out of my basement this morning, okay? In this little cart and here they are. And and here's a tailor-made driver, okay? And I bet you this thing can probably, I mean, 300 yards easy. I mean, you can just, just wail this and it just goes straight as an arrow, You could think, because I own this club, and I own this bag, and inside this bag are golf balls, you might think I'm a golfer. 
But I got news for you. I ain't. Right, Brock? (laughs) He shook his head yes. Not only am I not good at it, I don't play. I haven't been to the golf course in probably, when did we play last, Brock? Four, five, six years ago? I haven't played since then. But I've got a set of golf clubs at my house. Say, what's your point? What's your point? The point is this. If you evaluate your life, if you evaluate your life, not me evaluate your life and not you evaluate my life, if you evaluate your life, and if you see golf clubs, that doesn't mean you're a golfer. It does not mean you're a golfer. However, if you claim to be a golfer, you say, I'm a golfer, I love to golf. And, we, and you go to your house and you start looking around and you look in every corner and you look down in the basement and you look in the closets. No golf clubs. No golf shoes. No golf umbrella. No golf glove. They still wear those things? Yeah. There's, there's nothing there. They aren't there. Newsflash, you ain't a golfer. You're not a golfer. What's my point? We're going to talk about lying. We're going to talk about abuseful, abusive actions in your anger. The presence of them doesn't prove you're a Christian. But the absence is a problem. The presence of those things, you, you, listen, I know moral people who don't lie, who don't steal, and have lots of self-control, and they're atheists. However, if we claim the Spirit of God is in us, if we claim to be his workmanship, if we claim to be his masterpiece, there's going to be evidence. There's going to be evidence. Let's see what evidences that God's spirit is calling us to. The first one, Pastor Billy talked about a little bit last week, I know. And that is that this truthfulness will be there. Let's look at it again. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth as his neighbor. For we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, the first thing I want to talk about, before I get into these three things, I want to talk about how Satan attacks believers in these arenas. And the attack that comes on our life is, is really, boils down to our trust of God. I, I, want to, I want to challenge you today with the idea that these three things all revolve around our trust in God. Lying is honestly, uh, it's, it's displaying a lack of trust in God. Raging out of control in your anger, displaying a lack of trust in God. Stealing in whatever means you go about it, displaying a lack of trust in God. I want us to see that because as, if you're a believer today, as believers in Jesus Christ, 
He calls us to believe him and not buy into the lie of Satan. I know last week, I listened to Pastor Billy's message this week. I know he talked about in John chapter 8, Satan is called the father of lies. The father of lies. In John chapter 10, when Jesus describes Satan, he called him a liar, a thief, a destroyer, a murderer. Is how he described him. And we as, before we're in Christ, before we're born again, we're called children of that liar. Children of wrath. So before I go any further, I want to just camp on this concept that each of these arenas are an opportunity for the devil. They're an opportunity for the accuser, for Satan. And what he's desiring to do, what Satan's mission in our lives is first of all to destroy your soul. Secondly, to destroy your life. And thirdly, to destroy your witness. And listen, these three things have that very effect. Lying destroys souls. Thievery destroys lives. A raging anger destroys witness. As followers of Christ, as, as those that are, have been born again and, and he is our Lord, it is time for us to live out honest, self-controlled lives of integrity. Let's look at it in detail. First of all, he says, put away falsehood. Here's what I want us to understand today. That, that these life challenges are honestly, as I said, an opportunity to trust God. And let me, just, let, me, let me try to describe what I mean here. He says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. And I've thought a lot about lying this week. I've thought a lot about stealing. I've thought a lot about raging out of control anger. Well, that's really what you hear your pastor say, right? That's what I've been thinking about a lot this week. I'm going to come to realize, you know why we lie? You know why we lie? Maybe I'm just like, you know, like a moment of confession, okay? But I think we lie often because honestly, we just feel worthless. We just feel worthless. And so, in order to really feed my pride, in order to, to add to my worth, I lie. I lie. Brock, I shot a 39 yesterday. Not in golf, in another sport, but yeah. So we lie about our golf game. We lie about, our, we lie about the fish that we catch. We lie about the money we make. We lie about all kinds of things. Why? Because our pride is hurting. I used to, when I was a youth pastor, this was something I would say often. And for those of you that are in the room that might have been in my youth ministry, you probably heard me say this to you. You don't have to lie to have friends. Because some little seventh grader would come and say, you know, I was riding my bike and I jumped over a cliff and all that. And I'd say, dude, 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 just calm down. You don't have to lie to have friends. Why do we rage out of control? Thought about this week. Now look what it says. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not the sin go down on your anger. Why is it that we spin out of control in our anger? 
And, and I've been there. I've been there, men. I'm thinking of you, although I know that women struggle with this too, but I understand you men better than them, okay? And I've been there when you're tired, when, when, when it's been a rough week or a rough day, and you come home and you just want to relax and your kids are loud and your wife maybe says something that's sharp to you. And before you know it, boom, something comes out of your mouth. You don't really want, you didn't want to say that. You didn't want to hurt them. But it happened. Why is that? Often I think because we're feeling wronged. We're feeling wronged. And, and I'm upset because I'm angry because somebody wronged me, because you're wronging me, because I need a break right now and you're in my way. I want to watch ESPN. I want to sit here and relax and you're in my way. You're wronging me. What's the answer to this? And why do we steal? Why do we steal? Now, probably very few of us in the room, you know, break into banks and rob them. Okay, probably very few of us do that, but there's few. Okay, I know, but... But why do we steal? Why do we steal time from our boss? Why do we steal things from our employer? Why do we fudge on our taxes and steal from the government? Why do we steal time from people? Tell I'll meet you at 10, I show up at 10:15, I just stole 15 of your minutes. Why do I steal from the authorities when I speed? You know, some of you guys don't like when I talk about speeding. But it's a big deal. And I'm stealing when I do that. Why? You know, as I thought about this week, I think it's because we feel without. We feel without. I need to have this thing. I'm without it, and I need it. Or I'm without it, and I deserve it. I worked hard all week. My boss doesn't even know it. He's already left on Friday. I'm scooting out here and not going to say a word. See, I'm feeling without. The thing I want us to catch is that each of these areas are a way that we are displaying and living out our very practical, moment-by-moment trust of God. Trust of God. I think if you look at verse number 28, it really brings this truth home for us. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. And not just labor for himself, no. See, he's going to slay this idol, this demon, this dragon in his life. And what he's going to do is that he's going to then have something to share with anyone in need. I love how all three of these things, they don't just, God just doesn't say don't do it. He tells us what to do instead. So we're not going to lie. We're going to speak the truth to one another because we're all one body. I'm not going to rage in my anger, but I'm going to deal with it before the sun goes down. I'm not going to steal. I'm going to actually work hard and then give it away. All of it comes down to a trust of God. Let's see that. I want you to recognize this as being a trust of God's providence and plan. Now, the word providence is probably a word you hear a lot, but you probably can't define it. Okay? 
So let me help you out there, all right? This is from Baker's Theological Encyclopedia. You probably got it on your shelf, right? And you read it all the time. Yeah, sure. Here's what it says. God's providence, here's the definition. The divine superintendence of all things. Guiding details toward their divinely predetermined end in a way that is consistent with their created nature all to the glory and praise of God. Uh, huh? Right? Here's what that means. The providence of God is this. That God in his wisdom, that God in all of his mighty wisdom is allowing you to experience, to have, and to walk, be walking through exactly what he wants you to have. The good father that you have is ruling in your life through his providence. And you live where you live, and you have what you have. You work the job that you do. You're married to the woman or the man that you are. You have the children that you have. Because God in his sovereign plan has allowed this to come into place. Now you can argue with me and tell me that you got here through sinful means. But God in his providential care can allow you in your sinfulness to live out his providence and his sovereignty. Say, well, how is that possible, Lowell? How is it possible that God can allow sin to accomplish his plan? I got one word for you that proves it. Q-E-D. It's done. It's the name Judas. Oh, yeah. Remember him? That's right. The money handler. The most trustworthy guy of all the 12 disciples. Sinned. Betrayed Christ. And through that, you and I are redeemed today. You and I have an opportunity every single day to practically live out the gospel in our truthfulness, in how we handle our anger, and in our honest lives of integrity. Let me show you that. First of all, regarding truth, regarding falsehood, regarding what it says here, speak the truth with your neighbor, I want you to understand something, and that is you are becoming what God intends. You are becoming exactly what God intends. Ephesians 2.10, we already saw it. We are his masterpiece. Created for good works before the foundation of the world, he set these into place. You are becoming exactly what God intends. So you don't need to lie. You don't need to lie to cover up yourself. You don't need to lie to impress people. Just like I told all those junior hires, you don't have to lie to have friends. You are becoming exactly what God intended. And I love what it says here. Speak the truth with your neighbor. Why? For we are all members of one another. Now, when the, when, when the Bible speaks of being members of one another, it often uses the illustration of a body. Use the illustration of a body. So I smash my finger. Ow! 
Think about how illogical, and I'm embarrassed to even explain it, but what if your fingers somehow lie to the rest of your body and saying, I'm not hurt, I'm not hurt. It would be damaging. It would be, it would be detrimental to your full body. You are a member of me, and I am a member of you. This is what God intends. And we have as our head Christ. So we will speak the truth to one another. We will not bear false witness with one another. We will not have falsehood between us. It's okay for you to bear one another's burdens. It's okay for you to confess your sins one to another. It's okay for you to go to a brother or sister and say, listen, I have messed up. My finances are a wreck. My thought life is a wreck. My family is a wreck. It's okay. You know what they thought of Zacchaeus? They thought he was a thief that could never change. They thought he was a crook that couldn't be reached. They thought he was a man who had a destiny of of betraying God. And God changed him. Don't hide through falsehood. You don't have to lie to have a body. You don't have to lie. You are becoming exactly what God intends. Secondly, when it comes to this whole anger, rage thing. Listen, I understand it. You know, Jesus himself experienced anger. Anger is an emotion. I think sometimes some of us, you know, I won't point to anybody, but some of us who have a very demonstrative face, you've seen it, right? Okay? And a loud voice. If that's you, some of us get a lot of, we get a lot of, a lot of hits over this anger thing. We need to recognize that there is such a thing as anger and not sinning. There is. You know, I, used to, I used to explain it to some people that I loved, um, aka my family, uh, this way. You know, if, if there was a bad guy in the alley, who do you want there? You can choose anybody you want. Who do you want there? And little five-year-old daughter, you know, you ask them at that age because they'll give you the right answer, not at 15. But, but, but who do you want there? Daddy. Right. See, there is, a, there is an emotion that God has placed in us that sees a wrongness and wants it righted. However, we have to be careful that we don't slip into sin. Now, when does it become sin? Let me just say a couple things here, okay? Kind of parentheses. It's sin if you are becoming physical with the one that you're angry at. Even if they're your child and you're disciplining them. If you're doing it in anger, it's sin. Have them go in the other room. You go into another room. And when you come in, you're in control. I was disciplining one of my children one time. 
And I turned them over my knee. And I dealt with them. And I said to them, they asked me, why are you spanking me? And I said, I want to be careful of the microphone. Because I want you to be in control. And I never forget. Man, he convicted me at like four. And he said, but you're not in control. And I wasn't. So when you are, when you're out of control, that's when anger has drifted into sin. When it becomes physical, it, when it becomes verbally to the place where the person feels so belittled that they cannot respond, that there is no dialogue back and forth. You're, you're, you're out of control then. Step away. Step away. Don't let the sun come down on your anger. Now, that does not mean that you're watching the clock, you know, 730. It's not what that's saying. It's saying, come back to it. Honey, can we talk about this? Can we talk about it? We come back to it in a non-conflict moment. And we deal with it when control has been established. But here's the, here's the thing we got to believe. Here's the providence and the plan of God. I got to believe that I'm experiencing exactly what God is allowing. When I come home and I'm tired and the roof's leaking and the TV isn't working and the kids are loud, I need to just realize, you know what? God is in charge. His providence right now is is displayed right here in front of me. He is bringing into my life loud children, roofing, a leaking roof, there we go, And a TV that doesn't work. He is allowing that. And then I stop and I pull back and I say, Lord, what are you wanting to teach me here? Because I tell you, suffering, and that is suffering, okay? That is suffering. C.S. Lewis said that suffering is the megaphone, God's megaphone in our life. So when we're suffering, that is how God is getting our attention and saying, I want to I share something with you. I want to conform you. I'm your father. I'm working in your life. So you're experiencing exactly what God is allowing. And then thirdly, what about this whole stealing thing? Okay. You know, I don't know, about, I don't know if in your life that becomes an opportunity for you. Maybe, maybe it does. Um, I think if we really spend some time, Psalm 139, searching out our heart, we may find ourselves very convicted about how often we are taking what doesn't belong to us. But the thing I want us to trust here of God's providence and plan, and again, I believe it's coming right out of this passage, this honest work we have with our own hands is believing and understanding that we are having exactly what God provides. The things that I have, with with all of their shortcomings, your car that doesn't run well, your house that isn't exactly what you want it to be, your clothes that aren't as nice as whoever's, you have what God wants you to have. 
And I'll just fill you in on another little parenthesis that if you learn this, it will help you avoid a lot of grief. And that's this. It ain't never going to be fair. Get over it. It's not going to be fair. You're not, your neighbor is, there's going to be a neighbor who's going to have a better house than you, a nicer car than you, a better retirement than you. Get over it. God never promised that it'd be fair. So there's no reason to take, to take. It's not going to be fair. But it's loving. He's loving. You are experiencing exactly what his providential plan involves, what he desires for you to have. You're experiencing that, you're, you're becoming what he intends, and you are having exactly what he wants you to have. How do you, how do you live this? Well, turn your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to close with this today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know, grace is a wonderful thing. Grace is truly a wonderful thing. Grace means that we get what we don't deserve. Grace is the source, it's, 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 it's the means, it's the, it's the gift where God brings us salvation. But the truth is, we live out the gospel by grace every day of our life. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I've actually got it taped in the front of my Bible. <laughs> okay, just, it's just one that I, I look to often. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9. Let's read it. Let's just grab the context from verse number eight. Paul writes, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, this thorn in the flesh, this struggle that he had. So Paul here is saying, I had a struggle. He called it a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it is. Was it something physical? Was it something spiritual? We don't know. People speculate maybe it was his eyesight. Maybe it was just a constant pain that he had. We don't really know. God's spirit knew we didn't need to know. But three times he pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave him. That this thing he called a thorn in the flesh should be taken away. Three times. But God said to him, and here it comes, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Folks, you can trust God enough. You can trust him and keep your faith to be honest. To not lie. To not speak falsehood to one another. You're experiencing exactly what you'd experience. You can trust his grace enough that the situation you're in It's what he intended. I I don't have to rage out of control over this thing. God is using it in my life. You can trust God enough in regards to what you have that you can live out honest and depend upon his grace. Sometimes I'm afraid that people totally misunderstand what following Christ is. And you may think 
that's all about a decision you made when you were nine years old, you know, in the front of a church or a Sunday school classroom somewhere or at a youth event sometime, or, and you put your trust in the gospel and, and now you're good to go. Listen, that's not what God, that's not all God intends for you. He says, come and follow me and live out by grace and trust me, trust me with everything I've brought your way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for the person here who's struggling with these things. May we be honest men and women, honest boys and girls. Lord, to speak truth, who control our anger, who work hard with our hands, and then give it to those in need. I pray, Lord, that we would trust you in this way, that we would radically trust you in a world full of skeptics, that they would see this life of integrity and know that you have changed this person. Lord, we look to your grace. It's the only hope we have, but it's more than enough. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.